Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. If you're a new listener, the PK Podcast is a community-inspired conversation featuring guest suppliers, distributors, and service providers discussing insights into the $20 billion promotional products business. My name is Mark Graham, CEO of Common Skew, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Danny Rosen, president of BrandFuel. And we have a really special episode planned for today as we look outside of the promotional products industry and welcome not one, but two lions of the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say that with a straight can I, face. Can I, be a, can I be a puma? I'd, I'd rather be a puma. <laughs> I've always thought of myself as an ocelot. <laughs> there we go. Penn Holderness and Mike Mills, that you are hearing their voices right now. Our goal today is to explore what it takes to be awesome on the internet, how to create compelling video content, and what it means to tell a great story as a sales and marketing professional. But first, let me introduce these guys to you. Penn Holderness is the managing partner and creative director at Green Room Communications, a video production company that tells powerful stories through professionally produced videos and digital marketing. In fact, some of you may have been among the 14 million people who watched his Christmas Jammies video a few months ago. Penn's first on-air job was in Grand Junction, Colorado, followed by five years in Orlando. Penn hosted three seasons of Designer Finals on HGTV and hosted College Hoops on CSTV. Penn also worked as a video essayist for ABC and ESPN while living in New York before returning to North Carolina where he anchored the evening news for WNCN-TV. In January of this year, Penn left network life and followed his entrepreneurial calling to start Green Room. Welcome, Penn. Hey, that was uh, that was in, that was extensive. Thank you. <laughs> it, 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 it was, and you know what? I'm just and, and I am going to continue with Mike, and then I'm going to shut up and let you guys talk. <laughs> okay. No, no, I, I meant that as a compliment, not as a, like too long. I, I never like I didn't realize I'd done so much. Well, you know, it's amazing what you can do with an internet research. These are all your words, man. It's amazing. Uh, and <laughs> Mike Mills is the co-founder and executive producer at Studio M, an award-winning video production company based in Toronto. Mike and his team are, are storytellers first, and their goal is to bring fresh ideas to the world of content. Mike is behind one of the hottest videos of 2013, the WestJet Christmas video. Uh, Sorry, the WestJet Christmas Miracle video, which took the world by storm, racking up 35 million views in just a short few months. It went on to become one of the most profiled video case studies of the year, with prominent mentions in Fast Company, The Huffington Post, and Mashable. Mike just returned from Chicago, where their WestJet video won gold in every category at the prestigious Reggie Awards. Gentlemen, I am done, and we are honored to have you here. Thank you, Mark. I, I feel like this may not mean as much to our friends in the U.S., but I felt like I just got introduced by uh, Jean Gomez. That was fun. <laughs> well, you know, Jean, I think, has got uh, a pretty decent following in the U.S. now. He's got, like, the syndicated thing in Chicago and New York, and so... Um, and and for He's very for, good at his job, so I'm, I'm impressed. Well done. And, and I'm, I'm humbled by that. And for, those, for the listeners that are listening in on here... If, if if you're hearing like a forklift or you know yep. some people that are like giving is. directions, then Penn is so gonzo right now that he is in fact on a video shoot, directing his team. He's probably got a boom mic and a video camera in his hand right now. Um, so this is really really cool. So thank thanks so much for being here. Um, yeah. I'm, so the forklift just came out, by the way. You may have just heard it. Terribly exciting. Live <laughs> produced uh, television production. <laughs> this is so much fun. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna start off by asking Penn uh, a question, and then and then Mike, I want to jump into you in a sec. So Penn, you launched your new business, Green Room, on YouTube with this crazy, funny Christmas jammy video. You scored 14 million views. How has business been since that went viral? Like, what a coming out story for you. Uh, it, it's been great. Uh, we're I mean, and and we're probably now qualified for all of the calls that we're getting but when it first started we kind of had to scramble a little bit like our you know our website crashed like three times our email crashed um, you know we, we, we started fielding a ton of phone calls just about the kinds of videos that we want to make that are highly creative uh, largely musical or funny yeah you guys thought I'm getting kicked out of the bar hang on a second <laughs> <laughs> 
They just, they just kicked out the boss. That's awesome. I'm going to have to take my conversation outside. Okay, so um, <laughs> I was literally inside a bar, and she just kicked me out at 10 o'clock this morning. Um, so uh, where was I? Um, yeah, I, we got we got 17,000 emails, um, and probably 1,700 of them were people who actually wanted to, to use us for something, and probably 1,500 of those were things that we may not necessarily be interested in or just kind of bizarre and like we're not going to travel to Germany to do something for someone's 50th birthday. We got one of those. Yeah. Um, but, but then, you know, like literally a couple hundred were like, yeah, let's look into this. So we, we hired a woman whose only job was to go through the emails and respond to people. And, you know, we're, we're, we were a company of three people at the time and extremely selective about what we wanted to do. Um, the end result has been just a lot of opportunities to make bids for very large companies to make, you know, creative vi videos. And it's, it's funny, I wasn't expecting this at first, but it's largely music. They want, they want songs. Um, I mean, it's not all the time, but a lot of the time they want us to produce something that they can perform most of the time. Sometimes they ask about using our families, and we're trying to be very careful about that. Yeah. But, uh, but in all business, has been great. Like, you know, a couple of live events, I mean, I think we're nowhere on the level that, uh, that Mike and his company are and the ability to just kind of take those and make them look spectacular. But we do, we do actually, like, that's, that's something that, that we've learned a lot about in the last few months and we're really excited about getting into as well. That's awesome. Um, and, and we're going to revisit a lot of things you just said there, Penn, in that, in that uh, opening remark. Um, switching gears over to you, Mike, um, like, I, am, I know for a fact that your video was much talked about within the promotional products industry. There were tons of people in, in, in the promotional communities on various social properties that were talking about this and like, hey, did you guys see this? And it was a part of me that said, I know that guy. That's awesome. So um, I know that a lot of people will be really interested to hear the story. So my question is, walk us through the WestJet video. Like, how did you plan it with the client? And did the 35 million views deliver a sales boost to WestJet? Um, and was that the original goal of the video? I know that's a lot of questions all in one, but um, I'm I'm curious. For sure. Well, I think they're there, and um, thanks again for for having us on. And uh, Penn, it's cool to talk to you because I remember your video coming out um, sort of uh, on day three or four, as our heads were kind of spinning about what was happening to us. And it was really fun to watch your video and watch your view count go crazy. I sort of think I, I was like, wow, there's someone else out there who kind of knows what we're going through and that sort of exciting almost paralysis mm. um, that occurs that sort of sets in as you're like, wow, what, how is this happening? Um, and uh, it was a very strange time. So anyway, it's cool to, it's cool to be on with you. Um, the, exciting paralysis. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, you know, you're sort of almost afraid, like, you know, um, you know, it just feels like this huge opportunity, uh, but with opportunity, you know, what, you know, what's what Parker, you know, Peter Parker say, with great opportunity, whatever it is, they're just, um, uh, anyhow, I'll go back to your question mark. Um, the, this long story short of, of the WestJet thing was we had done a couple of small pieces with them uh, over the year before, uh, including a, a Christmas video the year before um, that was a flash mob. Um, which was, you know, that was something they brought to us, and they said, hey, here's a thing we'd like to do, and uh, working with some other folks put together, and for them it was a big hit, they're very happy, it was 500,000 views, which, you know, for a regional, um, not regional, for a affordable airline within Canada uh, was a big uh, success, and um, we had a great working relationship, so they came back to us in about May and said, hey, we want to make this bigger and better. You know, we'd like to go for maybe a million views, and you know, what can we do that would be really cool? And uh, fortunate enough to have some really, you know, great creative people on my uh, on my team that I have a long-standing relationship with. So we just went into the trenches, and, you know, kicked ideas around for a long time. Came back with five uh, to to the folks at WestJet. You know, did up a pitch, showed them five different concepts. Um, Funnily enough, you know, the one that they chose, you've obviously seen, it wasn't our recommendation, uh, our favorite of the five, um, but obviously they chose wisely. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, from there, um, 
you know, there was a lot of talk in the days following the video um, because one of the things that was really good, and this is something we can get into more detail with, but one of the reasons I'm often asked, like, hey, why did this work? And, you know, can you, can you give us a recipe? And while there is no recipe, obviously, I think one of the really good things about it and why it was so successful is because they didn't actually have set brand objectives in it. You know, they weren't saying to us, you have to deliver, you know, a seven-point bump in the key metric of the 50-year-olds that live in Calgary um, to deliver against our Q2 objective or some other overwrought um, marketing agenda. Yeah. Um, they basically said, we want, we want people to feel great and love WestJet. And, you know, um, so in, in that sense, the brand got out of the way, and we could just tell a really cool story. Um, but what happened as a result is, and we've just put out our, our case study um, into, into various uh, award scenarios, and they did a year over, so this is now a matter of the public record, but they did a year over year analysis of December 2012 to December 2013, because there was a lot of talk uh, in the media about, like, you know, it's great, but this viral doesn't actually move business. And, um, so they did a big in-depth study, um, you know, took out any seed sales, removed any variables, and found that they had an 86% revenue spike uh, over the same four-week period year over year, um, which is, for an airline, just absolutely bonkers. Um, so that was, uh, am I still there? Yeah. You're here. You are here. Oh, hey, 86%, cool. really? Wow. That's, uh... Yeah. Um, so that was uh, really wild once they drilled down into those numbers, and obviously way beyond any uh, shadow of uh, of their expectations. So um, that was uh, was really cool. And I mean, they would have been ha to, to be totally honest, though, just to backtrack that. That's sort of the icing on the cake. Um, but they would have been thrilled just with you know the amount of media they got, um, the amount of positive association they got. They had people calling into the call center from around the world saying, "Hey, I live in Finland." I wish you flied here. I just wanted to call and say Merry Christmas, and you mm -hmm. really made my day. I'm feeling better about the world today. They literally got hundreds and hundreds of those calls. Um, so that kind of just positive, uh, you know, brand association to use the lingo um, was was off the charts, which was cool. I uh, blatted on there, but no, no. As I, I asked you like five questions in a row, which is kind of my signature. So that's not that's <laughs> you did a great job of answering them. You know, it's it's interesting, uh, Danny. I'm sure that you saw this comment as well. But I, on um, uh, in one of the social communities within the promo uh, promo world, where you know someone shared this, one of the comments uh, I forget who it was from. Uh, it doesn't matter now. Had and it was, it was an American. Mike that had had written in the comment, she said, "I love this video so much. I want to move to Canada solely so I can fly right. WestJet." I'm like, "That's yeah. great! Isn't that great?" Um, so, you know, a question I think for for the two of you, and 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 um, and I'd be interested in, in both your perspectives. And and Mike, you touched on this a little bit. Uh, what a lot of people ask is, what is the formula for a viral video, and I and I know, I know what your answer is going to be. But for the people who are listening to this, I know that on the tips of their tongues, they're going to be thinking, "Okay, we got these heroes of the internet. These guys must know the answer to it. How do you produce a viral video for a business? Um, is there a formula?" Well, I think the the one thing I'll just say quickly first, if I might, Penn, is that I think people are. Very, there's a, and there's a very long answer to this in a lot of ways to think about it, but I think one of the most important things is people are very willing to engage in your content if they feel respected as an audience and they're not being, they don't feel like they're being sold as much as they're being entertained. Mm. Um, and I think uh, that if your piece can offer true entertainment value without having a big sales push or without you know, being tied to very obvious traditional marketing tactics, um, I think that's kind of one of the key pieces that uh, goes a long way because people are pretty savvy now. They don't want to be fooled. Um, they don't want to be. They don't have to bait and switch. They don't want you to make an ad that is pretending not to be an ad. Um, they, you know, they know that it's for a brand. And in Penn's case, I didn't know it was for a company at first when I was watching it, but which was kind of a brilliant thing by the end because it it felt so authentic. Um, and I think so. I think. Two things is one is entertainment and story trump everything, and number two is the audience is very smart now, so you have to be authentic. 
Yeah. Um, so he and, and Mike said it twice now um, about how people just they just want to feel good. Um, and and I think that I mean that's that's the space that I'm in. I think that's the space that Mike's in. There are viral videos that make people feel awful about themselves as well. I'm sure, <laughs> but um, but I, I don't see how that could ever help a corporation out and, and translating the business like we're trying to do. Um, the audience is absolutely smarter. They can and and you know Mike can probably speak to this too. You kind of have to be careful with that when you're dealing with a thousand cooks in the kitchen for a major corporate network. You've got to find people. And you've got to talk to them and say, hey, guys, um, you, you need to trust us on this, this, and this, because if if they catch even one sniff of commerce in this, it's over. Mm. So entertain mm -hmm. them in this video. Remember, it's a digital video, and feel free to attach words to it um, afterwards. You know, like that WestJet video was all about making people feel great about themselves, but they certainly could have put underneath the video that goes on a computer all over the place Hey, we uh, we're WestJet. Our tickets are on sale. Here they are. Yeah. Um, and that's that's kind of outside of it. But as far as the um, as far as the formula, I, you know, I have to say it because there's no formula for a viral video. Um, but but we we've developed sort of a formula for a shareable video at Green Room that we always kind of talk to people. And it's a uh, was the word acronym when you use a bunch of letters and initials, or is that is that did I get that right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Acronym. Good. Okay. So it's smash uh, for us, um, and it's you know kind of fitting. Um, and the, uh, the first S is speed. I, I really believe that you have to turn things around quickly enough so that they're relevant. Um, and I think Mike did a great job with that with WestJet. You know, we tried to show that we can do that with the Oscar night where we turn the video around in six hours. Mm. Um, the M, I think music, whether you're singing, performing, or whatever, I think it's almost necessary to have that, that sort of score to help the feeling uh, and the emotion out. Um, the A for us is asymmetry, which is, it, it basically means find something that doesn't really fit with what your eye normally sees. I'll go mm. back to Mike's video again. Just like flight attendants who are normally sterile, uh, overworked, moody people turning into these incredible like elves for Santa and getting excited and running to the mall. You're like, oh my God. <laughs> That's, you know, it would, that, would be like, that would be like having a big uh, happy musical from Postal Workers or mm. you know, something like that. And look, I love I love flight attendants. It's a tough job, but just seeing that is amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, this, and, and then uh, the H is humor. Um, I, I just think some, you got to find some way to make to make it funny, whether it's an inherently funny subject or not. And the other S that we that we have there is spontaneity. Um, and you know, we'll, I'll I'll give you an example in Christmas jammies. We when we went out to shoot that song, we wrote. We had a song written, and then we went out and shot stuff, and there was some really funny stuff out there, and we rewrote it because once you get out there, you never know what great moments you're going to have, yeah. which is another challenge when you work with, uh, with, with companies. You know, they have to approve these things, but you also have to say, hey, guys, we don't know what's going to happen here. And I guarantee you, Mike, that probably happened with WestJet as well, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to, you have to be open to um, the adaptation of the creative as it goes along because – you know, you may be dealing with people in companies that you know may or may not have had you know roles in traditional TV, but they've certainly had a lot of roles in traditional marketing, and they're used to seeing a very detailed rollout plan. And you know, what is let's get the boards done, let's get this done, and they want to you know see all the beats. And you know, yes, there are some cases where you can board things pretty clearly and you can set up pretty clear segmentation. But Penn's exactly right; you have to be open to, especially if it's these kinds of videos that we're talking about, you know, what's the magic on the day? Um, and, you know, the, the, the script gets rewritten on the day and then it gets rewritten again in, uh, in, in the edit room. I mean, one of the, a perfect example is um, with the WestJet thing was uh, the narration overlay, um, which uh, to the, you know, it was a night before Christmas, was something that we came up with um, to help us solve some issues, we were having the editing room bridging certain segments of the of the story. Now, when you watch the video, it feels like the whole thing was you know pitched around that narration. Um, and I think it's because Brad, who's a guy that we we have lucky enough to have on on uh, on our team, did such a nice job writing it that it felt like it really drove what we shot. But um, you know, and I think we didn't even tell the client about it. They didn't see a cut until we we said, "Let's do it. Let's write it. Let's put it in. Let's sell it to them. They're gonna." They're going to love it. Um, we weren't sure, of course, um, but 
Um, so it's just being open to you know different ways of doing things than maybe you know in the traditional linear way of thinking um, people were producing content. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of, uh, of spontaneity that happens when you guys are on the set and, and things just sort of unveil themselves, which is great. I, I wanted to go back and, and <clears throat> on a point that, uh, that Penn, you made, and I think you, you alluded to, Mike. Uh, it, it's a stat that um, I like using because it, it keeps um, anyone who runs a company, it keeps us uh, remembering what's important. And, and, and the stat is that it's an Edelman Trust barometer stat that I found. Um, it's a 2011 stat, so fairly new, but not really. But I think there, it's probably uh, in line right now. But the stat is that 56% of people trust businesses. I mean, think about that for a second. And then how that parlays probably into video and what you guys were talking about, the sincerity and, and, and maybe not trying to sell anything uh, in, in the video and, and taking that what's built, that experience, the brand um, proposition, so to speak, that's been you know, espoused to these people that have watched it, and then taking that and running with it is a great point you guys made. And that's a scary stat. 56% of people don't trust businesses. So one of my questions for you, you guys touched on this, and let's start with you, Penn, and then Mike, if you'll answer it, that'd be great. Um, talk to us about video no-nos. What are like absolute no-nos? Like everybody knows you got to have inject a cute kid or an animal. That that's going to make a video successful for sure. But but tell us what what the no-nos are. Penn, go. Uh, I I mean I think negativity. Yeah, I mean it's, this is not a political campaign. I think uh, if if you come across as someone who is trying to through subterfuge or or whatever it is, um, kind of say something bad about any general uh, <laughs> group of the population, um, it, it can be super subtle and you could still get called out for it because, again, the viewers are very intelligent. Um, so you have to try pretty hard not to, like, not to truly offend. You can, you can poke fun um, at, it, it, the best, I think the best way to do it is to poke, let the company poke fun of itself. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, I mean, this, this, a lot of this really comes from my news background. Um, you know, it, it, you have to have personality. You have to have all those things that we just talked about. But, I mean, you have to have a lot of eyeballs on it to be very careful not to offend anyone. I think that's probably the biggest no-no. Uh, Mike, what do you think? Um, for me, I guess I would say don't waste people's time. Um, I think there's... Um, I think there's a lot of people putting content out there, brands and companies, um, because they've been told they have to have a social media strategy, and you know they have to be putting out you know a new video every month. And while that's you know good business for for folks like uh, Penn and me, I think you risk alienating people um, if you are putting out something that's um, if you're trying to put out something widely anyway that. Um, just isn't isn't uh, of good quality. I don't mean high production value because I think I think you can create a lot of good content um, without uh, spending a lot of money on some of the tools and tricks. And for me, it comes down to um, our litmus test is always like, is it a good story? Like, would I want to? Would I personally? If I had no connection to this, would I watch this? Um, would I share this? And if the answer is no, then I think you really have to think about. How you can save it? I mean, obviously, everyone in this, in everyone in all of our jobs, in all of our industries, you know, does work, you know, for clients because there's a paycheck in it. But at the same time, when you're trying to do something creative and, and help move the needle for somebody, and you have an opportunity with a client that will actually listen to you, I think it's very important to be honest about whether or not, you know, it's actually decent content and if someone would actually watch it. Yeah. Can I chime in and say that I think Mike won that round? I think that he had he had a way better answer. <laughs> I, I was totally BSing. You, you guys put me on the spot. I don't really know. I, I kind of BS that, and I'm probably right about it, but I don't. I'm, I, I haven't really thought about no nos. I'm glad we're talking about this. Well, yeah, I, 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 I like mean, your answer too. I think it totally makes sense. Yeah, I think, uh, and and it's it's all really interesting, Penn. Like your background in news is. Uh, certainly your job as an anchor is not to offend people, but your job as an anchor is to talk about some things that probably upset people uh, 
a, a fair bit more than a, a Christmas jammies video. So it's it's interesting how you you've made this transition from being a guy who talks about things in a, in a serious manner to a guy that talks about you know why you can't go out and see Oscars movies because babysitters are too expensive and you've got kids. Um, so yeah, I, that's that, that part of me has been pent up for a long time. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I remember I was a sports guy before that. I mean, I was an HGTV uh, guy. I mean, yeah. I, I, I come from a much fluffier background than local news. I just spent a few years there. It, it was very helpful, uh, and it, it taught me a lot of lessons about being responsible with the message that you sent out yeah. that I didn't learn before. So that part was nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to um, switch switch gears a, a little bit and try to draw some parallels between what you guys sell and what guys like Danny and I sell in the world of, of, of promotional gear. And uh, as I was just hearing you talk, this question came to me, and I and I'm I see a lot of similarities between your companies, where you know, in video production, video communications, whatever the case may be, your social media strategy, however you want to define it. Those companies are a dime a dozen these days. There's so many people that hang a shingle out and say, yeah, I can make videos or I can edit content or I can sing a song for you or whatever the case may be. And that's exactly the same challenge that we have in the promotional business. There's a ton of people that sell pens and T-shirts and there's there's a whole bunch of them that are fantastic and are professional and there's a whole host of them that aren't. And Mike, of course, uh, you know, we reflect back on the Trunk Slammers video. That was something that was communicated really clearly through that hilarious video that you guys did for us. And um, I'll say that a lot of people in the promotional business saw it as, as I went on tour and talked a lot about social media. But I digress on that. Um, so how do you guys, when you're going out to your customers, how do you differentiate yourself and and market yourself as a cut above the average guy that can sell a video. I mean, I'm sure that it comes down to cost, and I'm sure to some extent you don't want to play that price game that so many people in businesses with a ton of competition play. What What's your point of differentiation? What's your pitch? How do you establish yourself as a premium provider that is able to justify the price that you charge for the video? Um, the, the one thing I often say, and, uh, you know, um, is, I mean, there's, there's a lot to that. I think one of the things is, is, is that maybe it's different with Penn and I is, you know, we, we just hit our 10 year anniversary at Studio M. So it took us 10 years to, uh, to have a, a big viral hit and I, you know, he had one right out of the gate. So he's going to have a slightly different trajectory than we may have had. Um, so kudos to you on that. Um, because you know, to be totally to be totally fair, when you have when you have a big uh, video success, um, it changes the tone of the conversation and people's perception of you change um, pretty dramatically. Because all of a sudden, you become the person with the answers, and you know you're sitting at agency tables with people who normally would have just gone like, "Oh yeah, you're the video guy. Cool. We'll see you on the day with the cameras." To, "Huh? We really need to talk to you and pick your brain and understand." So I think there's a perception shift there once you've had a big kind of uh, big hit. But to go back to the earlier question, I think, and this I don't want this to sound like a pat answer, but I believe it to be true. Two things, two things we sell ourselves on is one is creativity. Um, I think in our world of video production, there are a lot of people, a lot of people, millions of people in North America own their own Canon 5Ds and their own, you know, Adobe Premiere, Final Cut Suite, um, you know cutting content and putting it online as whatever you know thousands of hours a minute that gets put on YouTube so it's clearly the market is is saturated um, so you have to I think separate yourself with creativity um, I think that's the only way you can really separate yourself yeah and then once you have a customer you just have to uh, you have to be amazing at uh, customer service or you know client relations and just go above and beyond to deliver and once you've done that, you once you have someone's trust in our world, I think it's I think it's very important. And we can once you have that trust, it's no longer a price game. Sure, there's times when they say, "Hey, this is our absolute max," or we ha you know this is a low budget, or you know next time maybe we'll have more. There's always going to be those kind of back and forths. Mm. But I think once you've established real trust with someone, price is is no longer. I don't even think in the top three. But. Sorry, I'm writing all this down. This is amazing. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah. Can you and I, can I, you and I can go get pints someday, and we can talk more. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. I, so, I mean, 
look, it's great to hear what kind of wisdom you get from 10 years, and those are probably all tenants that he had um, well before this, this WestJet video went viral and before, uh, you know, the, the, you guys did the Bud Light campaign too, right? Yeah, yeah, we did, uh, yeah, the Super Bowl stuff. Which is uh, also we're working, we're working with them right now. Well, thank yeah. you. Yeah, and, and, they, and one, of those, one of those aired in a, uh, in a March Madness uh, timeout. Like, oh, it's the guy I'm going to talk to next week. Um, so, <laughs> uh, it, it, it just, just those of you who are listening, it, it's called, I think it's, uh, are you up for anything? And, I, and so here's, here's what differentiates um, successful companies from unsuccessful companies in the production sphere. And he hit on most of it. Um, but it, it is the pitch. Um, you said, you know, what, what is the differentiation? I think it's in that room, and there has to be a ton of preparation before you go in there because, you know, back in the day there were ad campaigns and marketing companies and probably promotional companies that all got together in a room before they even went to a, a, a production company mm. and said, here's the idea, here's how we want to do it, how much are you going to charge, you know, and let me, let, let me, let's see some past work. And you basically show them your password. Okay, we'll use you guys. We're going to bring in our own director. We're going to, you know, our own scriptwriter. We're doing all this stuff. And I think, um, especially in the internet side, where you know, I think there's no paradigm for a cost. A lot of times, it's just companies saying, "Hell, we want a we want a viral video. We don't have a clue what we're doing. Yeah. Um, help." And so, in that pitch, you have a chance to create a, ha a hashtag, an identity a total social media strategy if you want to, and, you know, a suite of videos that, that, that you, it would probably be worth it to put some serious storyboarding in, or in our case, we don't storyboard as much as we send them an MP3 of a song because they like that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, we, we want we a pretty big client last week over three other companies that I'd heard of, which is saying something because I don't know much about production companies, um, because they liked our pitch. Um, I think the other thing that you really can do to differentiate yourself, and I don't know whether you do this, Mike, is make sure if you're working with a company that they have a good launch plan. That's that's basically the plan to get this video in the right places. Um, so you know, you know, a viral video sometimes could use a little nudging. And mm. to me, that's that's that that we just hired actually this fantastic woman who is going to be in charge of our of our launch plan and companies love that if, if like we're taking care of that um apparently the, you know the ad agencies charge a lot more money than they like and if, if, if there's a production company that can do it they're thrilled with that hmm. it's sure. that that that's absolutely huge because i one of the things when you asked earlier about what's the what's the formula i mean I, I didn't say it but one of the things i can tell you is that if you don't do a certain number of things well um your chances get less and less you'll be successful and Certainly, one of those things is the launch plan, um, and you know, uh, you know, both traditional and sort of more modern kind of PR tactics, mm. um, because there is so much competition for stuff out there. You know, wouldn't you want to, if you're trying to set something on fire, you kind of want to bring everything to the table, right? You need kindling, you need, you know, yeah. you need logs, you need paper, you need a match, um, and you know, yes, you know, someone said to me the other day, yes, you know, you could probably light a tree on fire with a match. But it's only going to happen, you know, one out of a thousand times. But right. if you bring kindling and paper and the rest of it, um, so that's absolutely massive, and it's, uh, uh, you know, Penn, that's very, uh, that's that's totally bang on. You know, I I kind of set you guys up with that question because your you, you know your answers for the for the the majority of the people that will be listening to this when we when we go live with it will nod their heads because the challenges that we have in this industry predominantly are a ton of competition and clients or uh, corporations that buy promotional products are often um, uh, um, will will be or, sorry I'll, I'll, I'll repeat that there's a ton of competition and a lot of people in our industry that are very good at selling on the transaction but are not very good at differentiating themselves on Mike the things you just said Mike, you said creativity, and Penn, you, you, you talked about launch plans, which is service. So a company that in, in, in our industry that can go to a company and say, hey, I can put together a merchandise plan that includes promotional products, and it might include some social media, might include some graphic design, might include some fulfillment, as well as maybe a company store, then all of a sudden you're wrapping, wrapping creativity and services around something for a company that's buying swag, and it's it, that is an entirely different conversation than someone 
selling a hundred pens with a one cutter logo out of a catalog and they can also say, oh, by the way, I'll give you a better price than that other website that you just found on Google. And I feel like there's the really uncanny similarities between kind of the low end transactional, like everyone's got a 5D and, and, and Final Cut Pro to guys like you that are able to come in and have mature and adult oriented conversations with legitimate marketers to say, uh, here's what we can do for you and here's how we can add value for the price that we're charging. So I think that is is inspiring your answer. And as I say, I, I kind of set you up because I wanted to see what your answer was. And um, so I, I just, that's more of a comment, not a question, but just, I just think it was really, really cool how different industries are, are in many respects quite similar in terms of how you sell. For sure. As, as a follow-up to that and building off of Penn's point, I think the, I think the huge opportunity is that as the as the you know broader marketing industry changes so much and the agency mix changes so much and you know where the revenues are where a big brand is putting their revenues and I don't just mean the sort of age-old topic of you know TV commercials versus online but I just mean across the spectrum um, budgets are shifting and people are more confused than ever as to where they should put their money I think to Penn's point about the pitch is I've been in a lot of situations and I bet it would be the same for you for you Mark in your world is that you know, you go into, there's an opportunity, and the people will say, well, we kind of want to do this, we think it would be great, yeah, we don't have a budget, we don't know what it is, blah, 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 but and then if you can go in there and you can wow them, um, all of a sudden they're able to find the money somehow they said they never had. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yep. Because, you know, so there is so much power, as Penn said, in the pitch and in the idea, and I think that any any company that wants to provide a service of any kind to the marketing industry, I think has to start thinking like a creative shop, because yeah. the whole you know the you're always gonna Coke is always gonna have an AOR that does all their global work, and you know big international you know huge companies are still gonna need that behemoth agency relationship. But then there's so much else going on in these brands and in these companies they need help with. And if you can solve somebody's problem for them, if you can take a you know a brand manager and like make their day easier, if you just solve their problem for you, you're gonna get the business. And I think that applies to, to all of us. Yeah, you know, everyone's looking for an emotion right now, like a pure emotion that's hidden in whatever it is that we put together in a video. Um, you know, it, it's, it's funny, like with this H&R Block thing that I'm doing right now, that, that emotion has changed throughout time, like dealing up to the, or like leading up to the deadline of, the, of, of taxes. Um, it, it started out being, you know, helpful, and then you know the emotion. One emotion they were kind of looking for at one point was uh, was panic, um, you know, because taxes are almost done. Um, you know, they're you know, and then uh, the big one underneath all of it is just kind of unexpected, nice surprise, elation, um, and that and that was a lot like what happened with WestJet. Um, you know, if you've got a group that understands how to create an emotion and to do it in a clever and engaging way where, as you said, you don't waste people's time. Um, that's kind of what ad agencies and marketing groups, I'm sure, say they do and know how to do. But it's so compartmentalized and there are so many cooks, I find it really refreshing to be able to kind of do all of that in one place. And in, in the internet kind of advertising world, for some reason, that's that's more acceptable. They, you know, people. I think companies are starting to say, okay, let's open up, you know, fifty, hundred, hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and just, you know, that's to us, that's nothing, and let's throw that at these guys and see what they can do. Absolutely. Um, I'm I'm got a. I'm just looking at a question here that I wrote down before, and I think it might be a good time to ask it right now. Um, you know, when I was doing when I was Taking a look at your sites before coming up with uh, with with a way to introduce you guys, um, one word jumped out on both of your sites that 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 made an impression on me, and that was storytelling. Like you're really in the storytelling business, and I, as a a guy with a sales and marketing background, I've always made the observation that being successful at sales is um, or that there is a very strong relationship between being successful at sales and being a good story uh, a good storyteller. Um, you know, stories differentiate you from the next guy and allow you to create an emotional connection with your audience. And emotional connections, something you guys have talked about a long time uh, in this podcast. 
how do you, the two of you come up with good stories? Like what, you know, I know there's good and evil and I know there's kind of like the feel good side of things, but what is, is I know I asked about the formula for a viral video, but is there a formula for a good story? And the context around this that I'd like you to think about when answering the question is a lot of the people that are listening to this podcast are small business owners or sales reps that uh, are, are a creative, but in many cases don't really have the time or energy or certainly don't have the money to come up with, with, with video content. But what I feel is the savior is that if you can tell a good story, it doesn't really need to cost you that much or if anything. So that's kind of the angle that I wanted, that, that I wanted you to pursue when answering this question about how to come up with good stories. Well, the hard part, and Penn, I'm sure, has similar feelings or theories, but the hard part is that, you know, nobody pays you for your ideas directly, unfortunately. Mm. Um, you know, so you can kind of build it into an estimate, and you can, you know, find ways to make that happen, but, you know, for someone to say, you know, I really want to, if you were to say to someone, or someone, to say, you know, someone was to say, I only have... Uh, I have $5,000 to spend. And you were to say to them, okay, well pay me $4,000 and I'll go away and come back with the greatest idea that you can execute for $1,000 hmm. and then you can take it or leave it. Most people are still going to say no because yeah. um, they don't feel good about spending that money on something that they can't quantify. Yep. Um, right? So, and I think, you know, I don't want to sound like a creative oppressed person, but I think it is hard that that you know creative totally sells the business as Penn was saying, but at the same time creative is so underappreciated and certainly underpaid. Right. Um, so it almost becomes kind of like, um, you know, it becomes kind of like a, a sunk cost you have to take on as as business development. Um, yeah. And yeah. Penn I don't know how to charge for it. Like it's it's so funny. Like you're. I'm glad you're bringing this up, and it's not just me. Um, but, but, you know, we're, like, we come up with some pretty good ideas. And the, I, there's, I mean, we're kind of making the paradigm as we go along here, Mike. So, like, what do we do? How do we, like, how do we do this? Right. Do you guys... So it's a longer conversation. Do you... Do, yeah, exactly. Do, do you guys, out of interest, because this is, this is certainly something that guys like Danny and I struggle with every day with regard to coming up with merchandise plans and designs and concepts and then only to have an unscrupulous client go and shop it. Um, that's certainly something we deal with. Uh, well, my question to you is, are, do you protect yourself with that pitch oh, yeah. and saying, Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm interrupting you because I hope that the same answer with, with Mike. Like, you know, that's the first thing we learned in our first meeting. You've got to get an NDA out there, a yeah. non-disclosure agreement. Um, and, you know, obviously you can sign an NDA. They can take the pitch and slightly tweak it, and you know it becomes a legal issue, and you have to ask yourself the question: Could they have come up with this without our help? Yeah. Uh, luckily, we've never gotten to that point. Uh, Mike, any any tales on your side where you've been shortchanged because because someone's ripped off your idea? Uh, I mean, not to an exact end. I I think that most people, um, I know that there's a lot of shady things that happen out there. I think at the end of the day most people are good and don't intend to um, intend to rip you off or, or use you for your ideas. And I think one of the hardest the hardest pieces is, you know, an idea is it's very rare that you can look at an idea and purely decide exactly where it came from yeah. and exactly when it when it became real, right? Because um, yeah, I mean, there's brainstorming sessions, and yes, you you know hit on topics, but ideas are organic and they grow. Um, you know, certainly our idea that we presented to WestJet improved with their feedback, um, and they had an add-on layer that was very important. Um, so I'm a little bit reluctant to get into too much overprotectionism. Um, yeah. I do think NDAs are a good idea, but I do think also. I mean, if I was going into a pitch with an agency I'd never dealt with, and they were asking me to pitch on something big, and agencies are notorious for taking ideas and running with them, and I had no personal relationship with them, um, that's one thing. But if it's a yeah. client I've worked with before, I tend to operate on more of a goodwill basis because I just think it's a healthier conversation. Yeah. Um, but um, but still, having it respected and paid for is also still very difficult. 
Let me um, ask you something, Mike. And, uh, have you yeah. detected this just like dealing with, I mean, some of these really large companies, it seems like the people whose job it is to, to deal with Internet video, they're kind of the cool people. Mm -hmm. They're kind of the fun, yep. interesting people that they that they give to. I mean, we we've met some really interesting, kind of fun human beings through this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I mean they're usually they're often sort of like the the rebel misfits of the brand, right? Um, yeah. Which is which is great, which is awesome because they'll usually be the risk takers. I mean, you have to take a risk to do anything. Um, and I think if you know. Like with WestJet, if, if someone, if it had been through, like we weren't even working with the marketing department, we were working with the sponsorship and the community development department. Mm. And I think if it had been through a more traditional marketing channel and had to live up to X, Y, and Z metrics on, you know, brand performance, it would have been watered down. I mean, it would have been so easy, uh, and I've been through a million of these videos where, you know, someone at that company, if, if we were dealing with more traditional marketing folks instead of the cool misfits, they would have said, well, you know what, can you just please put a shot in the video of, like, how easy online check-in has become? <laughs> or can you please put a, can you, you know, can you please put a shot in of the video of our, like, airport kiosks that shows you can check in in under 20 minutes? Uh, or we need to highlight our, you know, 15-minute return bag policy. Mm. And this is the kind of stuff that, you know, a legitimate a legitimate marker has to say and always injecting their message into content that kills stuff. It's so hard to say and it's so hard to get people to understand it, but I really think it's the big thing. If you, if you want to make a specific you know, TV ad with a specific brand message, with a product message that says, now online check-in is easier, do that. But don't, don't try to make that an online play. Um, and I kind of got off track there, but, um, but I think you need those people who aren't kind of beholden by the old rules, um, and if if they're at those companies and willing to kind of fight the good fight on your behalf, um, that makes certainly makes our jobs much easier. I, I hope I think that um, you guys need to like follow up with me in uh, two months because I can't talk about it right now. But we're doing an ad campaign for this uh, for this company. I think it's going to be a great ad. But the behind the scenes story of all the things that they say you can and can't use or do. It's 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 you understand it, but it's kind of hilarious. Well, you're talking about this. <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. If if I may just tell a quick quick aside um, uh, on that is my one of my favorite stories was from two years ago. Um, we were working with a, a a firm I won't name, but they're in the accounting world. And um, as with a lot of these companies, they send us their brand guidelines normally to help you with fonts and the like. And um, I was surprised to see on page 82 uh, they had something called video video edit video editing guidelines, and I thought to myself, what on earth would accountants know about video editing or how it works to their particular brand? So I flipped open to page 82, and this is the opening sentence of that paragraph. It says, "Take the best images and place them in the optimal order." That was their. <laughs> That was that was their advice and brand directive on editing. Uh, so I just thought that was brilliant, and it it sort of it's kind of like what you're saying, Penn. The kind of stuff that these these folks will come up with because they're trying to protect, you know, what yeah. it is they think they're supposed to do versus being like, I hired an editor because they know how to edit, and I don't need to I don't need to explain it to them. Yeah, um, Mike. Anyway. Mike, that quick aside. Uh, page, yeah, no, page eighty-two, Mike. My guess is that uh, we'll we'll at some point in time, years down the road, months down the road. Uh, for those that set brand guidelines for large corporations, like your accounting firm example, will probably be page 82 to page 98, mm. um, where they probably might start to understand it a little bit more and really start to build into um, into their marketing plan. Like, how do we really want to make sure that that you guys who are handling this thing handle it right, right or wrong? It takes away some of the spontaneity, I know. But um, I, I want to ask both of you to. Um, Put yourselves into our world, the world of selling branded merchandise. Uh, we work with some very large companies like you do. We work with small businesses as well. Um, you guys have talked about um, about sort of the return. You, you mentioned, Mike, the return on uh, WestJet's video, the 87% increase, and how they correlated that. And I'm sure there's some, some incredible tools that, that help them analyze that. But I think what is probably the thing we're talking most about is this idea of return on experience, ROE. You know, so... You know, it's hard to measure that necessarily. It's hard to get a handle on transferring that to an actual dollar figure. 
in our industry, it's sort of the same. I, I would love to give away a, a thousand really cool T-shirts and come back to the customer after we did some analytics and say, hey, we brought in five new clients, average sale, 20,000 bucks, and do, do the ROI, and, and we're off and running. But I think about your pitch as part of um, selling what you're doing, and you guys have talked a lot about that today, that storytelling, and, and Mike, you said you had five pitches for WestJet, and they picked the one you didn't think they would, and it actually ended up being great. Um, put yourselves in our shoes, pitching the same people that you guys sell to, by the way, are, are very likely in the same department of the folks that we sell to. So they're marketing folks, they're creative, they're irreverent, um, they're willing to try some new things, but they're also beholden by brand guidelines and, and the sort of like they're being held back for whatever reason. But what does the pitch look like? If you were us, how would you approach not just slapping a bunch of pens and saying this pen writes the best and it's the cheapest, how would you approach promotional product sales in terms of delivering the experience, thinking about how you guys parlay that in your world? And, and Mike, why don't you start? Sure. I mean, I think, um, and again, I don't want to sound pat or cliche, but I think, you know, sales uh, and communication is not unlike, uh, in your business or any business, not really unlike video. It's like you need to tell a good story and you need to make people feel something. Mm. Um, so, you know, if you can make someone feel really good about deciding to sign up with you, or you can make them, you know, see, you know, see a problem from a different angle than they'd ever considered, or you can make their day better because you solved the problem for them. Um, I think that's big. And for us, we look at pitching and storytelling. I mean, we do some pretty cool um, drawings and stuff, and try to tell a story, and you know, really think about how to make them, you know, feel something as we're as we're pitching. Um, you know, and without understanding, you know, exactly um, how you guys traditionally sell or how those conversations unfold, I think, you know, number one, know what, know your audience, and number two, um, tell a really good story. I mean, I know that sounds vague, but I kind of believe that to be true. And it's know, interesting I how, I was just going to jump in, sorry, Penda, to cut you off. I, I, I think it's, it's really easy and this is becoming really clear even chatting with you guys where I feel there's so many similarities, it's so easy to hide behind the product, right? So easy to hide behind the black and white, the dollars and cents, the product features, you know, all that side because that, that you can look at a catalog and memorize that kind of stuff. Whereas telling a story and connecting and, and thinking of something outside the box is 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 something that's a little bit off script, I think, for a lot of people, which separates the um, the professionals from the not-so-professionals. Sorry, Penn, go ahead. No, no, I, I agree with everything Mike said. I can't wait till I can afford a sketch artist in my company because <laughs> I'm being serious. Like, I think, no, no, I think that's super important. We use Storyboard That, which is like you basically put these digital stick figures in these digital places. And, I mean, it looks like a really bad uh, comic book, but, uh, you know, our, generally our clients get the picture and they really like it when... I add some music to go with that, but I, um, I, I love groups that can sketch and can and put those things together and, and make that part of the pitch, and that's definitely part of what we hope to have as our future um, kind of model for giving pitches. But, it, I mean, the only thing I would add to what he said, which was, which was all perfect, was something that I think is written, like, on Danny's front door, which is just be bold when you're mm -hmm. pitching yeah. Um, and, and just go well beyond, like, you know, show them something they've never seen before. Uh, we did, a, we did a, um, a pitch for a national pet company, and I brought a guitar in. And so, like, uh, Kim was like, don't, don't give them a recording, just do it live. Um, and it was our, what we thought would be the third most popular pitch, and, you know, that, that was the one they ended up taking. Um, because I ended up uh, hearing a story about one of the people in the, in the room and rifted into kind of the song. Um, so, I mean, be bold, be spontaneous, and I, I mean, Mike couldn't say it better, make them feel something. Mm. Good. And go see them. I mean, go, go see people as much as you can. I mean, I know it's hard. We all run our businesses, and you can't also, it's hard to be, you know, leading all the sales and also developing and doing all the other things that we as business owners have to do. But you can't you can't beat FaceTime. I mean, there was a client that I was working with in Chicago, and we got we got into a bit of a rut because we were producing a lot of content from them, but from a distance mm. um, because it was for events all over the place. And then we you know edited in Toronto, 
and the thing got the the relationship got a little stale, and so I went, you know, this is this is crazy. Um, I need to go down there, and I wasn't even the guy managing, you know, that particular client, and it wasn't a a, a shot to the guy who was. I just said, you know, what? I should just go down there, and so I went down there once a month over a while, and it's crazy what FaceTime does for a relationship. Hmm. And I think we're all so into what we do online and communicating and a million things going on at once. Um, not saying that everyone wants to grab a coffee with you or everyone's going to give you the time, but to just show up in someone's office and say hello, um, you know, uh, it goes a long way. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting how we live in an age where, you know, guys like you, to some extent, are responsible for, you know, keeping us in front of our computers because the stuff you're doing is so entertaining that we don't have time to go and visit customers. Right. And I, you know, yeah, damn you guys. Now keep up the good work. Um, yeah. In looking at the time, um, you, you know, I think that we, we, we could probably start winding down in the next like five or 10 minutes. I just wanted to give that as a heads up. Um, I, I wanted to ask a question, you know, kind of a nuts and bolts question. So I'm, I'm listening to this podcast right now. I'm a small business owner and I'm excited, right? Like I'm sold on the idea of storytelling. I'm sold on the idea of video. But I've got one, I've got one small problem. I don't have any money. I have no money whatsoever. My marketing budget per year is 700 bucks. And for the most part, I spend that on pens with my logo on it that I can go and drop off at clients' offices. What do I do? Because I can't begin to think of even affording you guys let alone you even wanting to take on a project for me. What do I do? How do I do this myself? Um, there are there are so many wonderful storytelling tools at the fingertips of everybody on this planet. Yep. Um, and they are all connected to social media. Um, you, you don't even need a 5D and Final Cut Pro. Yep. I'm, I'm just gonna I'm gonna talk about. Uh, I grew up in Durham. And this private school did a, a announcement that they were canceling their 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 school for the day, and they did a vanilla ice song, hmm. and it got five million views. And they did it on an iPhone, and they probably spent about two hours writing it. Hmm. Um, and it was it was the cheapest thing I've ever seen, and it was the greatest thing too. It was very clever. So I think if if you can think up um, a good story, you can tell it your way. In fact. We, Mike, you got to tell me if this has ever happened to you. We have some pretty good cameras and some pretty good equipment. We've had people tell us, don't make it that high res. Hmm. We kind of want it to look <laughs> amateurish. And I think part of that is because our family videos are not, they're good, but they're not, like, great. We're not shooting them on an Epic, uh, you know, or anything like that. And I'm not coloring them in, in After Effects. I'm, I'm making it almost just look like a home video on steroids. Hmm. And people kind of want that right now. So I would tell a person with a $700 marketing budget, you have more leverage and more opportunity than you can possibly imagine. You just have to clear your mind, think of something uh, that, that instills in you and in your company a big fat smile or a positive emotion and just try to put it out there. And you have nothing to lose. Hmm. For sure. Shoot it, on, shoot it on your iPhone. I mean, the iPhone now, the iPhone 5S, the new one, um, shoots 120 frames a second, which know, is better than the Red. Slow-mo. It's amazing. It's crazy, which is better than the Red Scarlet. It's better than any of the Canons. So, and that's only going to get crazier. Um, and I mean, you can do pretty much whatever you want. You can get Final Cut Pro Express for I don't know if that exists anymore, but it was 89 bucks at one point. Um, you know, if you have an iPhone, you're set. Yes, maybe you don't need a video. Maybe you should just open a Vine account and just shoot a bunch of really funny six-second Vines um, yeah. because those are cool stories. Yep. Uh, you know, 15-second Instagrams cost you nothing. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're never going to hire a professional for 700 bucks, obviously. Um, but uh, there's a bunch of kids in basements who'd probably take your phone call. <laughs> but, I mean, I think you should, you know, I think, I think you more just have to, you know, foster that spirit of, Hey, I'm gonna do this because everyone can publish their own content now, right? Mm. And it's cool. Like Vine is awesome. I don't know if you, uh, but like I'm super into it. I don't really yeah. actually do any personally because I'm I'm kind of tapped out at the end of every day creatively. But um, the what people are putting on there is just amazing, and it's such a cool platform. Yeah. 
Absolutely. The idea of how like animated GIFs went from being like this really marginalized thing on the internet to now being completely mainstream is just, it's, it's, it is super cool. There's a lot of people in promo that are doing it in a really interesting way as well. Like just, you know, showing different colorways and just like how you interact with the product. And, um, you know, we've, we've certainly had a lot of fun with that at, at right sleeve, given that we've never really had much of a budget, but a bunch of people that have phones and, want to uh, want to have fun so um, as we always like to do guys in these in these podcasts as we as we end up uh, we always like to give you guys the final word um, before that I, I would say this has been so much fun like to get two guys of your stature and um, experience on the show is is really exciting I know that uh, there'll be a lot of people that are will, will be really lucky to hear your your words of wisdom um, so a big, big thank you for that. Um, Mike and Penn, do you guys have anything else that you'd like to say or questions of each other or, or anything you'd like to, to add as we get in the final stretch? Well, uh, what I just I, want to say is, thank, thank, go ahead, Penn. No, 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 you, please, you. Hey, guys, before we go um, on, this is like the conference call in real life uh, YouTube video. This is awesome <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, why are you in my hotel room again? Get out of here. <laughs> Dan, are you playing solitaire um, right now, buddy? <laughs> I am Sorry, I was just going to say thanks because it's, it's fun to kind of take a few minutes to stop and think about things because I think all of us kind of bounce from, from project to project and, you know, crazy moment to crazy moment. So it's fun to kind of just take a step back and, and, and chat about things. And two, I mean, uh, one thing I just kind of wanted to say to Penn was, I mean, people always ask me who are your competitors and I honestly don't really think of, sure, you pitch against people, but certainly in the production world and the way it works with hiring freelancers and, oh, we got to go shoot in this town, we've got to go shoot in that town, is I usually tend to think of my competitors as just basically a potential collaborator um, because you never know when you're going to need their skill set or in their neck of the woods or whatever. So I kind of just wanted to selfishly say, hey, Penn, let's chat again another time because I feel like we could probably uh, work together someplace down the road. and. And uh, you know, thanks for thanks for this opportunity. Uh, I was going to say sort of the same thing. Like I, uh, I would probably go to Canada to to, to learn at this guy's feet for a little while. Um, we're it's we're we're obviously in two different um, kind of time frames in our business, and we've gotten to where we are in two completely different ways. But I, I, I don't. Um, I I absolutely have loved hearing what Mike has had to say. Uh, this is such a, an interesting time where the way that people consume entertainment and that, that entertainment leads to the ability to sell or to promote a product, um, it, it's, the paradigm is no longer a television commercial. Mm, and it yeah. opens up so many opportunities, and there are so many giant companies who will get you in a room and say, I'll be thrilled if I never have to pay for another on-air advertisement. So we're kind of in this really exciting time and, and, Mike, I'd love to talk uh, more about it. And I would invite anybody else who's listening to us to, to talk to us about it. It's, I mean, it's, um, he's, 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 he's absolutely correct that you, you don't ever want to alienate another production company or make them into a rival uh, because that's just a missed opportunity. Yeah. Um, and, and I also want to thank Danny for teaching me how to use the mute button on my phone about 10 minutes into the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> My uh, pleasure. Good for something here. Yeah. Now you know one, what. One, one, Sorry, guys. One, I lied. Danny, you yep. go ahead. Yep. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, hey, Penn, are we going to do some uh, some branded jammies for you guys? So you got a new uh, new line of uh, revenue coming in next year. I am not allowed to make any of those decisions. <laughs> but it's been, <laughs> Your it's wife been a weird. It's been a weird byproduct of all this selling pajamas, and and, and you know that's. <laughs> That's just been weird. Awesome. And, yeah, I mean, the, the people who we've talked to, and I've got a phone call later today um, with uh, a guy, and um, I don't like I, I don't know how. Like, Danny was the first one who actually gave me a sheet of paper that showed me what they would do, um, and it's it's fascinating. Yeah, it's uh, it's a good way to look at video as an entree into into the promo world. We can uh, we can do some great stuff, I think, in terms of uh, brand merchandising and extending the brand beyond video. The real tangible stuff that you can wear against your your pale white skin, so to speak. So there's that. <laughs> well, one just one one just quick 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 story because I I know we all have to go and I'm I am now late, but 
the uh, I called up Mark about three days before we were to shoot um, our our Christmas video for for WestJet, and one of, somebody on my team said, "Oh man, we should make we should make T-shirts because we had been calling. We had the whole time we had a code word for the project, uh, which was Gator Wolf, uh, mostly just for fun, just to kind of make ourselves feel fun." Um, but in talking about the creative and stuff, and so this guy on my team said we should get these we should get these T-shirts made. It says hashtag Gator Wolf on it, and you know give them out to the crew and all the clients at the end of the shoot. I said, oh, it's brilliant. We've got to do that. So I called Mark, and and um, you know it was a ridiculous deadline, and you know uh, kudos to to him for making that happen. And literally as the shoot was wrapping, um, you know a PA zipped over to the hotel where the box was literally just arriving, brought it over. And then when I handed my main client that shirt who didn't know it was coming um, with the name of his baby across the front of it, having just executed in a successful way, it was really cool, really powerful. And yeah. uh, we, 30 of us went out to the bar that night wearing these bright turquoise Gator Wolf shirts and had a, had a wrap party with the shirts on. And, um, so that was pretty cool. So anyway, just a side story to say, uh, you know, you guys are awesome. And, and the power of swag, although, Mike, you know, I really wish you'd gone, like, I remember that conversation. I said, Mike, you don't, you shouldn't get the shirts. You should get Gator Wolf jammies. And you shot me down, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> next time I'll listen to you. I, I, need, I need new ideas, so I'll listen to you next time. Oh, man. Well, listen, guys, this has been so fun, a uh, real highlight, and, um, and I'm glad that we're able to make some professional connections here. I think that if, you know, you guys can work together, it would be like, you know, bringing the internet up a couple notches so thank you for the work that you do and I'll, I, I was going to say in closing that I've always watched with a wary eye how brands and marketers are starting to make these big inroads into social and YouTube and to some extent making it kind of lame and I think that it's great that you guys with your creativity and your gonzo mentality are just you know really educating some of these bigger brands on how to be relevant and cool and interesting as opposed to super lame on the internet. So thank you guys for that and for the entertainment. Thank you. Very cool. Thanks, guys. And we'll talk to you all again soon, I'm sure. Fantastic.